guys, I'm, I'm here with the editor-in-chief of Babylon B and co-author of How to Be a, a Perfect Christian. Uh, Kyle Mann, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. How you doing? Great. Good. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to start off. Um, I know everybody talks about the Babylon Bee, but I wanted to ask you about uh, how to be a perfect Christian. Yeah. Um, as a libertarian Christian, I really enjoyed it, um, especially when it gets to the last chapter. I mean, you know, the at the end of how to be a perfect Christian is is pretty much, you know, vote Republican. <laughs> and I, yeah, I, I love that as, you know, one of the few, you know, non-Republicans in my church. Um, you definitely give a different perspective. Um, and I think a, a lot of the book, you know, said things that, you know, because it's satire, it's, it's all stuff that I think most people who are uh, churchgoers think <laughs> when they right. when uh, when they're there. So, um, how did you decide to write that? Yeah, um, well, the book as a whole kind of tackles a lot of um, you know Christian traditions that we have taken in and kind of canonized as part of our uh, you know as kind of inerrant. <laughs> commands as though as other scripture you know there's so much of what we do um in in modern church culture that we feel like is is a command or something when really it's just you know cultural trappings um right. and that extends to that extends to politics you know and that's something it, i mean maybe even more so in politics you see people taking on um, their political ideas and they kind of integrate them into their identity of who they are. Um, and that happens on, that happens on all sides of politics, but the, the Christian church today, you know, obviously leans very conservative and Republican, at least in evangelical circles. And so that's kind of the sacred cow that we wanted to tip over a little bit. I actually got, I got an, I got an angry email about that chapter. Um, it was, I mean, it wasn't really an angry email. It was a guy that came read um he actually enjoyed what we were doing liked the first nine chapters and did not like the 10th chapter at all and uh, <laughs> and uh it was a it was a fine it was a thoughtful email but it was funny because it was like that's how so much of us are with like satire and humor is, is we think it's really funny until it's making fun of the idol that we've set up you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> that it's not yeah. it's not funny anymore yeah there um yeah, I definitely had a gut punch moment reading it uh, when, what was it? It was when the pastor comes to you and uh, you got to come up with an excuse. And it's basically, oh, yeah. you, you can always get away with saying, well, I don't feel led. I don't, I don't feel that that's in God's will for me. And I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think there was an old headline we did that on the site that was like, uh, everything local man feels called to do he coincidentally really enjoys you know <laughs> right. it's like i feel really called to serve in the fantasy football uh, league you know but not but not serving at, at the at the old folks home yeah <laughs> yeah that that's kind of what concerns me about the church and why, why i like the book is because it it just kind of becomes like a team sport like how uh, republicans and you know, if you're a 
a Trumper or whatever, it, it becomes your team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, it's it's like I said, it was like it's like an identity that that uh, that and that's how people think, you know, that very few people think logically. And I'm not saying even I do, you know, I, it, the way that that we process information and the way that we that we like that humans tend to take on ideas and accept ideas is generally by, you know, through our identity and who, who we want to be and who we want to identify as. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the problem comes when we start to elevate that identity to like who we are in Christ or, or what our belief, what our real beliefs are about, about eternal things. You know, we have the ten, a tendency to assign eternal value to temporary things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I really liked one of the headlines from today. It was uh, Hillary Clinton um, as a keynote speaker on how to win elections, I think was, <laughs> was the headline. <laughs> Uh, that was a really great one. Um, yeah. Because well, <laughs> the was, it was a key, she's going to be a keynote speaker at a cybersecurity conference or something. Right, right. <laughs> We're thinking, how, how the heck do we top that? That's, yeah, that's the best. And, yeah, you, you guys, I think, are a little bit more um, even than The Onion when it comes to politics. Um you guys, I mean, you guys make fun of Hillary, Trump, you know, Democrats, Republicans, whoever. And uh, I feel like the onion kind of loses uh, where like middle America is actually at because, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, you guys tend to look at everything as from it's like a goofy perspective. Um, and I, I really like that because if, if you just think about how bizarre some of the people are, in politics, and not just uh, Donald Trump, but I mean, a lot of the people that are running for the Democrats right now are just—I <laughs> mean, they're in, crazy. insane, crazy people. <laughs> right? Yeah, I—I I think. Sorry, I think when um, when satire can uh, deconstruct and kind of bring. Um, uh, point out the humor and the system, you know, of whatever you're making fun of, rather than necessarily just saying, oh, this side is bad, or just shilling for one side. I think that's the best. And that, and I think that's probably, you know, even though I'm the editor-in-chief, I, you know, obviously there's a lot of people um, on the Babylon Bee that have different viewpoints, but I think one reason that we've gotten a little bit of a following among libertarians is because we're willing to step back and kind of remind people that this whole system isn't like the whole politics and, and U.S. government isn't an end in itself, you know, because that's so many people yeah. worship it, you know, and, and, and libertarians obviously appreciate that perspective in some way. Right. I mean, like I said, it's it's a team thing. And, you know, Democrat or Republican, it's it's their sport. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah. more people tune to the presidential debates than like the NBA finals or anything like that. Yeah, so, sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think they beat out the Super Bowl, but they beat they beat out a lot of sports. Um, yeah. One of the things I wanted to know about uh, writing for a satire site is how many headlines or stories do you just kill off? Like, how many do you go through before you actually publish one? Um, 
so there's a couple of different metrics we could we could look at like uh, I do a week I do a weekly thread and we have a little we have a little writers group on Facebook and I do a weekly thread of you know here's the headlines for this week and people pitch ideas and probably at the end of the mm -hmm. week there's there's 400 pitches there um, and we we publish about 30 stories a week so yeah. by that metric it's about 10 percent I feel like it's probably even a small, smaller percentage when you look at the total number. I personally, I mean, I'll go in there and I'll post, you know, I'll do a hundred headlines and maybe publish two or three of them, you know, of my own. Uh -huh. You know, these are of ones that I have an idea for. A lot of comedy is iteration and uh, and finding the right angle. I have stuff that sit, you know, we have a bunch of, we have, we have, I don't know, 50 60 ideas that are done you know they have a they have a, a good photoshop done headline and a finished article and they're just sitting there and they've been sitting there for months you know <laughs> and it's a lot of it is it gets there and i'm just not sure if it's right and, and we sit on it so i mean yeah comedy yeah. you know you write you write a lot of waste you write you write a lot of that until you get what you're looking for so yeah and i think that's what's made the babylon be kind of I, I feel like that's what gives it some of its characters that it's not just a it's not a mean aggregation site where people just post whatever jokes, you know, mm. there's a little bit of quality control, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, when I first um, saw you guys, whatever article it was, I, I immediately, you know, connected with it. But then I thought, you know, I don't know if there's really an audience for this because it felt so personal, <laughs> like it was like my own experience. And then as you guys kind of grew, I, you know, I started talking to buddies and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, this is, this is how everybody thinks of, <laughs> of the church and, uh, and just what's going on in general. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's similar to how I felt. I mean, you know, I, I, I was there pretty much from day one, my, uh, Adam Ford founded the site and I just started sending him emails, you know, like a crazy fan. I was just emailing him a bunch of ideas and, uh, <laughs> and I started writing for him. <laughs> I started writing for him pretty much right away. So, but it definitely had that feeling of authenticity where it's like, I'm just writing this because this is an experience that I've had personally, you know, and it was almost surprising to me that so many people felt the same way. So it's like, it was like this lightning rod for, <laughs> discontent that people had with Christian culture and and uh, you know yeah I mean yeah you definitely like tapped in and, and struck a nerve with people which I think is really cool um yeah I really like uh the click hole site you know the like the offshoot of the onion have you ever thought yeah. about doing anything like that that's more like like just clickbait um, um, stuff. We, we've done it, but we tend to, we tend to do it. Um, we just do it on the site, so we uh -huh. haven't spun anything off. So we'll do little uh, we'll do little clickbait style headlines or uh, you know click hole style headlines. And so you know that's a fun creative outlet, especially when um, if things are starting to, if things are starting to feel a little stale. Or you're, or you're doing a headline and uh, you're, do, you're doing an article and for some reason it's just not working. 
you know, uh-huh. I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find an example right now, but um, I, I know I did one just the other week where we, we were typing this headline and it was like, I kept adding more words to it. Oh, here it is. Uh, ah, crap. The guy walking into church ahead of you is holding the door, even though you're still 50 yards away and now you have to run. Like <laughs> that, I had this like serious written headline for this. And it was so long and it was unwieldy and it was like, it wasn't funny. And so you kind of say, well, let's make it clickbait. And then that (laughs) once in a while, it really, it really, you know, adds a comedic. I I mean, I think clickle almost, almost beats the onion a lot of the time, just because it's almost like they have, um, they have no limits on what they say or do, you know, in terms of right. the headline, because it doesn't really have to make sense, you know. <laughs> so I think, I, I, yeah, we've never really, we, we, we haven't really considered spinning off a new site. I don't know if there's enough, there'd be enough space for it, but, uh, but we definitely do it on the regular side. Okay, yeah. Those, yeah, some of those click hole videos that are like a minute and a half, two minutes, I mean, I've, you know, I've found tons that, I mean, just kill. Um, I'm wondering, uh, are there any articles that you've ever been actually scared to hit send on? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's a natural part of comedy. I, I, uh, you know, you never really know how it's going to land. You, 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 you hope that it's going to land one way. And, uh, I mean, every day you, every day there's stuff when we're hitting on hot topics you know it's kind of like is this gonna is this gonna resonate um and the the awkward thing for me is that i write a good i don't know three quarters of the of the article and i'm also the editor-in-chief so i have to i have to filter myself and edit myself to a double moment of you know fear and (laughs) and and second guessing because as a writer, you can't you can't write that way. As a writer, you can't go. You know, is this going to offend anybody? That's how you get lame, tame, terrible Christian comedy. You know, as a writer, you have to be willing to cross those boundaries. But as an editor, you have to be willing to a joke or, 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 or tame a joke that's that's too far. So I have to wear those two hats and switch between them. But yeah, all, all the time there's stuff that, you know, you hold your breath and you just fire it off, and and then sometimes I just close my internet tab and don't look at how it's being received <laughs> yeah. that's the best way to do um so what, what were we talking about we were talking about, uh, <laughs> com- we were talking about comedy and uh trying to uh oh edit- yeah that's right yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh so having to having to wear two hats as an editor, and uh, I definitely think when you're writing, you can't have the fear of rejection and the fear of this is going to go too far. Um, but as a publisher, as an editor, especially when you're trying to build a brand, as you know, for us in the Christian satire, and you know, wanting to wanting to to remain true to its identity of what the brand is then then we uh, then when i click publish there's a good healthy i think there's a good healthy fear to be had there and say and and to Uh ask yourself is is this helpful to the conversation does it make a unique point or is it just you know whatever and we've made missteps but i mean that's kind of that's kind of how it is 
what's the worst uh, blowback you've ever gotten from an article? The worst uh, would have been when we published um, re- really early on. Jan Crouch died, and she was the uh, she was one of the owners of uh, TBN, the Christian, you know, crazy televangelist uh, network. Oh, okay. And she died, and then we we wrote an article about. It wasn't really making fun of her. It was kind of making fun of. It was saying. Uh, because their whole their whole theology and philosophy is, you know, you can be healed and you can have riches and wealth if you just need Yeah, it. They, these are the uh, prosperity gospel people, right? The prosperity gospel guys, right. So we said our joke was uh, prosperity gospel preachers are puzzled. You know, how could how could Jan Crouch possibly have died uh, when all you have to do is claim, you know, uh, health and prosperity. So I, I think it was making a good point, but we learned a good lesson about, um, you know, timing and just maybe the article. <laughs> yeah. Been, yeah. You know, maybe the, it was the day she died, you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe the article would have been funnier would have, you know, and it's not necessarily that it was bad, but it's like it, because so many people were, you know, I can't believe you published this on the day she died. Then the the point that we were making got lost because uh-huh. of that outrage. Yeah. so we're, we're okay when there's some outrage that's fine you know we're creating art we hope there's a reaction to it but when it's when it's drowning out the point you were trying to make then it's then it's not helpful so they, i think the next morning i woke up and it was on fox news and you know <laughs> i mean it ended up working out we, a lot of people heard about the site that hadn't heard about it but you know i think in the end you know we, we learned a little bit so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um do you still get hate from like the progressives or do they just not read your site at all anymore? We do. We get some hate from, from progressives. You know, you get a lot of, you get a lot of people kind of that'll get upset at this piece or that piece, but there, there is a sense there, there is a, a sense that I have that a lot of people on the left have just written off the site. Like they don't, you know, they blocked us or they've given up on us a long time ago um so it's kind of funny because we actually get worse reactions from the right like uh if we make fun of trump or we you know we 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 reposted a piece this morning uh that fox news slams jesus christ for not standing for the national anthem you know (laughs) this you know you you get a lot of you always get a lot of angry emails and comments and people saying well you know i'm unfollowing your site because the right hasn't, you know, people on the right haven't really written us off or they assume, oh, we're on your team, you know, and then right. you publish something like that and they get real upset. So that's, <laughs> that's probably more where the hate comes from. Yeah. Well, you know, I like that one because uh, it doesn't really mention America in the Bible. So it's it's interesting to see all, all these Christians lose their cool over something like that. Right. Um. Yeah, I've I've always been a big fan of satire, and for me, a lot of it's been uh, more like edgy, like controversial stuff, like shock jocks, like Howard Stern, Anthony Cumia, stuff like that, um, and just just being pro free spree- uh, speech in general. Um, what do you think about that? And I know, well, I think you do a lot for free speech in a place where it's, uh, 
you know, it's, it's uncommon. Um, do you see yourself that way and that you're a free speech absolutist? I, I definitely think in the realm of comedy, you know, there, you, you cannot have, you cannot have limits on where a, a comedian can feel like they can go. You know, I, I don't, I don't believe in, you know, PC culture or any of that. Now, that doesn't mean that as a Christian that I will go there, you know, and that doesn't mean that as a Christian, I necessarily, you know, I, I pref personally, I prefer clean humor. I, I think it's, I think it shows more uh, talent and more creativity to be able to make a joke that uh, a nine-year-old can laugh at and a 90-year-old can laugh at, you know, versus something that's a little more narrow. But, right. but when people are like, you know, banning, you know, the universities are protesting comedians that are coming in because they're, you know, they're making points they don't like. So that, that's crazy. You know, I, I definitely support, you know, free speech. And then from, you know, from a government perspective, obviously, free speech is, is a right, you know, that, that God gave to us and the government can't take away no matter what the Constitution says or doesn't say. Like that, I, I believe that. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously private, private corporations could, could boot someone, but, it, you know, it, we, we, I'm sorry that I'm ranting, but I'm sorry that I'm rambling, but it, we see this, we see this mostly for the Babylon Bee, we see this with Facebook, that Facebook's, you know, their algorithm just crushes comedy in so many ways, because if you have certain keywords, you know, the algorithm filters you out. If you, you know, mention something they don't like, the algorithm filters you out. We like that that clickbait style humor. Facebook crushes a lot of it. They they won't share. They won't let it sh be shared that much because, you know, they see. Oh, we don't want clickbait on our <laughs> right. Even yeah. though we're making fun of it, you know, we're we're doing a parody of it. Their uh -huh. their algorithm detects it, and it's, you know, right. And, but and you have crushed. to you have to use those keywords for it to make sense that you're making fun of the clickbait. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. There was a great article this guy wrote. He was a, he was an onion guy. And then he was on, uh, I think he worked for funny or die. And he wrote this article called, um, I think it's called how Facebook is killing comedy. And his point was like, as a comedian, you need to, you need to kind of have unfiltered access to your audience to say what you want, you know, and you tell a joke and either it bombs and no one laughs, it does okay. Or it does great. And that's fine. That that's part of the iterative process of comedy is you figure out what works and what doesn't. And with Facebook, they've they you know, it's this filter between you and the audience. And then it's like, I don't know, was that joke not funny? You know, maybe it wasn't funny, you know. Right. <laughs> or maybe Facebook decided it that nobody's gonna see it. So that that that's killer, you know. I, other platforms are a lot better, I think, than than something like Facebook where you've got a little bit of a filter. Yeah. Well, doesn't the algorithm work in such a way where if you have a more popular post, that gets uh, promoted. So whereas if you have a new headline, it takes it a while for it to recognize that. Uh, who knows? I mean, the algorithm <laughs> is mysterious in its judgments and unsearchable in its ways. I, I, the, the sense that I get is that uh, posts that do well keep doing well and posts that don't do well just disappear you know and that's a problem for a lot of, for a lot of content you know because there's content that connects right away and does great and that's awesome and then there's content that like we we like to make jokes that are little little niche jokes about christian culture 
and they, they're not going to have that instant like, oh, that's hilarious. Let me share this with 10 of my friends. You know, it, it, they're not going to have that. But you have a lot of people, people that are going to appreciate that. And it might be a slow burner. But Facebook has no room for those slow burners, you know. And that's why you see so many sites turning to like outrage of the day type uh, posts, whether comedy or not. Yeah, it's like, yeah. You have to be on it. You have to be on what everyone's talking about this second or it's not going to take off. So, yeah. Yeah. That's why I prefer Twitter is because it's it's just chronological. And yeah. you, can, you can scroll through somebody's content and they're not going to block anything. That way you can curate what you see. Um, a lot of times I go on Facebook and I, I just see like seemingly random stuff that's like, kind of associated with the people I follow, but I'll see a post that's like from months ago, but just because it got a reaction. Oh yeah. It, that it's that it's still up there. Yeah, I don't it's wild. I don't understand why why they think that would help you. Yeah, and, and part of you know they're changing their algorithm so often that at first at you know, at the Babylon Bee, you know, we, we tried to kind of chase the algorithm. And it's like, oh, here's what they're doing now. So now we've got to shift our whatever, you know, whatever. It is. Uh -huh. We have to shift this and that. They don't like this kind of post. They like this kind of post. And after a while, we stopped chasing it. We just say, you know what? We're going to put our content out there. And if Facebook tanks it, they tank it, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Facebook, Facebook gives and Facebook takes away. You know, blessed be Mark Zuckerberg. And that, 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 that's kind of how you have to treat it. Because if you, if you start... You know, recently they announced uh, groups. Facebook groups are the big thing. And you're going to see more groups in your feed, you know. So we created a Facebook group, and it was stupid. You know, we shouldn't have done it because it was just like, it doesn't work for comedy. It's not what we're trying to do. We That's not the kind of style that we want, you know. So it's like, right. and, you know, and, and, then, and, then, and then you look stupid in three months when they, they're like, okay, no more groups. Now it's this other thing, you know. So I don't know. Right. I, I feel like you, you can't do that in comedy. Yeah. How many uh, likes or followers or whatever do you have on uh, Facebook? I think we have 550,000 followers on Facebook, 160,000 on Instagram, and like 176 or so on 176,000 or so on Twitter. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Is that your your main audience is going to be on Facebook, right? Well, yeah, and it's even disproportionately so, even from those numbers, because uh, nobody clicks from Instagram. Very few people click from Twitter. And, you know, the vast majority click from Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, so I know you kind of lean uh, libertarian uh, politically. Um I'm wondering, uh, have have you always been a libertarian? What got you into uh, that side of things? Uh, were you a conservative at some point? Um, I yeah, when I was in like third grade, I think I was. I I, I went around my elementary school and I was uh, trying to get people to vote for uh, Bob Dole. <laughs> I don't even. Third graders can't vote, but that's what that was what I was doing. Yeah, I was trying to. I, I was like taking a survey and then telling people if they said that their parents were voting for Bill Clinton, I was trying to 
I was telling them that no, they, their parents needed to vote for Bob Dole. So that was, <laughs> so yeah, I I was definitely conservative, kind of kind of neocon. Up until I don't know, um, maybe, maybe seven or eight years ago, mm-hmm. I kind of started to. I kind of, I guess, I, I kind of started to see the bankruptcy of of a lot of that kind of thinking, you know, and it, it, it's kind of usually, you know, it was gradual. It was like, it was like you you kind of saw that economically or, or fiscally speaking, conservatives weren't really conservative. You know, it, it was kind of a more of a you saw the you see the hypocrisy, and then you start to see kind of chinks in the armor, and then it were and then it, you know eventually it's like. You know, I'm like dismantle the whole system. You know, let's bring it all crashing down. And you know, <laughs> that's always how it is, right? You start it starts small, and but yeah, no. Yeah. Ron, Ron Paul was kind of the gateway drug, I think, for me. And I read his uh, Revolution, and I was just oh, okay. like, this whole thing opened up, you know. And then I read uh, read the Law, and you know, started reading books on books on economics, and I was just like, this whole, you know, it was a religious experience, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's it's one of those things when you first notice the hypocrisy. Uh, like what I, what I like to point out to the Trumpers is like he campaigned on this build the wall, his big thing, and then four years later, what I mean, what do we have? <laughs> what do we right. have for for all that campaigning, all all that promising, and you're gonna go out and vote for him again, like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what what's it gonna take for you to say no to the uh, to a political candidate? Um, right, and that's, I mean, Trump's been great for the battle on B. You know, our kind of nonpartisan humor where we try to poke all sides because because he is such a glaring you know hypocrisy for Republicans in a lot of ways. Yeah, you know, they're forced to confront that hypocrisy, and it so it's been fun for us to be able to to be able to to point that out. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, at some point um, during the, his campaign, he said he quoted from two Corinthians. Oh yeah, <laughs> not Second Corinthians, <laughs> two Corinthians. So you know, yeah, that was great. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was our main. That was like our main Trump angle for a long time. Was like, uh, uh, you know, we kind of we, we would put him in the in the uh, role of Jesus. And then you know have have his different followers kind of worship him in, in in different ways. We have one where Franklin Graham is pushing through the crowd, trying to touch just the the hem of of Trump's <laughs> garment, you know, so yeah. he can he can receive his power. And you know, it, 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 oh, we had the one where Robert Jeffress melts down all the gold from his church to make a big Trump statue, and you know has everybody worship it. Yeah, you know, so that's a great angle because it really exposes a lot of that attitude that that seemed to be going around Republican circles for a while there. Yeah. Well, it's it's also really smart of you guys to do something other than, you know, Trump is dumb, you know, Trump Trump is bad. I mean, you you guys could easily just be lazy and put that kind of content out there. And I mean, you you'd get an audience for that, but not not like it is now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I've said I've said it before, but I mean, Trump Trump humor is Trump humor is a lot harder to do than you would expect. You know, Trump humor, it, 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 it's so, 
it's so bad when it's done poorly, you know, because it's just preaching to the choir. Oh, Trump is stupid. Trump is a moron. And it's the same, you know, it's the same reason that Christian, that Christian movies are bad, you know, because they're just trying to preach to the choir about, oh, you know, atheists are, are horrible. And, yeah. you know, if you just believe in Jesus, all your problems will be solved and whatever. And, uh, you know, the, the Christians are all good guys. The atheists are all bad guys. And it's just horrible. You know, it comes off as preachy. And that's the same thing. You know, you watch you watch the Saturday Night Live sketch on Trump and it's the same thing. It's this it's this preachy, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment, come to Obama, you know, <laughs> moment that they that they try to push. So, yeah, no, tr- Trump, you got to nail him. You got to nail Trump's personality for for Trump humor to really work. <laughs> yeah, I've. Um, I recently just turned on uh, the new Wanda Sykes special that's mm-hmm. on uh, Netflix. And, you know, I, I like Wanda Sykes, but she comes out and, you know, doesn't say anything and, you know, just plays off the crowd for a little bit. And she says, how do we have a president in the White House where I know I'm smarter than the president? And that was her joke. And that that's was the it. Old joke. Yeah. Oh, man. Was that's like, terrible. That, that is so lazy. You know, yeah, there you have fans that are just like waiting on. Okay, when's that new special going to come out? And that's what you say. I mean, that's horrible. Yeah, that's a we call that we call that clapter. You know, you get the clap. You get you're going for oh, the yeah, applause. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, you know. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely a clapter type yeah. of special. But yeah, that's you know that's why I like satire and supporting because it can break people out of that little bubble that they're in. Which is it's really cool that you do that for the um, for today's church. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and if if they see that it's loving, and if they see that you're coming from a position of the church is a good thing, and the gospel is a good thing, and and, and Jesus is worthy of our worship, you know, if, if you know, I know that sounds really like like high and lofty, but if that's you know, if people can see your love for the gospel and your love for the church in your satire. They're a little more willing to listen to your points, you know, whether that's about theology or politics or, or whatever, you know, because it's like we're not coming at you saying, oh, Trump is a moron. You know, we're coming at you saying this thing that Trump did is a little silly, isn't it? You know, and then people are like, oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of funny. You know, oh, maybe, oh, that's funny. Maybe maybe I don't need to put Trump on this pedestal that I have him on, you know. So that's the power of satires that can really knock people off of pedestals, I think. Yeah. It's great. So um, I usually end with uh, a question. I ask, uh, let's say you're God and you can make everybody read one book and understand it, understand it on a deep fundamental level. But I mean, I can't really ask you because then I might expect you to like say the Bible and then it's going to be weird if you don't. So can we, well, can we do this one except for the other Bible? Than the Bible? <laughs> oh, yeah. I Honestly, I already had my answer and it wasn't the Bible. But so maybe okay. I need to maybe I need to rethink things a little bit. But uh, yeah, no, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings would be my answer for sure. I, I think Lord of the Rings is the best book ever written and other than the Bible. <laughs> and uh, I think it has a lot of value. It's amazing to me if you read like C.S. Lewis J.K. Chesterton, J.R. Tolkien, and you read them today, and it reads like like they were being written today. You know, these these guys are writing in the twenties, thirties, forties. You know, and it's like 
it's it's just so it's so timeless you know i i just completed my third or fourth reread of lord of the rings and it's like i'm I'm highlighting you know more stuff and it's a religious you know it's my devotional type <laughs> type read because it's just so good and i think people really misunderstand stephen colbert what was that you think you could take on uh, stephen colbert do you think I could take on Stephen Colbert? Yeah. Oh, in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, I I've never watched Colbert, so I but I did oh, hear okay. that he was, I did hear that he was a big geek, you know, a big uh, Lord of the Rings guy. I, I I definitely could. You know, I don't like I I don't like most of the other material like Silmarillion. Uh, the Hobbit's really good, but uh, and most of the stuff that Chris Tolkien compiled, I felt like I feel like it doesn't. Uh, like I feel like Tolkien himself would have done it a lot differently you know, if he had published it himself. So, yeah, but, but, but the core, you know, Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, I mean, I, I, Tolkien, his, um, his preface to, in the later editions of Lord of the Rings, this has, it has a lot in there about, you know, almost, almost anarchy, you know, almost ideas of anarchy that he was talking about. It, it not, not quite, but in his idea, his conception of anarchy is, was, is kind of different from what we talk about, but, but, you know, he, he definitely had this idea that, power always corrupts, you know, and that was kind of his main point with Lord of the Rings is, is power always corrupts and we're so willing to take it uh, so flippantly, you know, yeah. and uh, so it, it, this concludes my sermon, but yeah, definitely Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I like it. Uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right.